didn't know me. Everybody say that they know me. They only see me on the cover of a Vogue and they clone me. We cannot be friends because I like being lonely. I'm a boss. Tell them not today. Swerving on these chickens. Cluck out my lane. I'm a boss. Out my way. All right. So Andy Grant is on the show today. Hey, Andy, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Let's see. <laughs> Where to start? <laughs> yeah, really, especially in this chaotic time. <laughs> exactly. So, so just I, tell us a little bit about your – you have a podcast. Yep, yeah, one of the many things I do. Yes, I, I host a podcast called Real Men Feel. It's been going on for just over four years now. I'm also a coach, uh, a healer. I'm an actor. I'm a writer. I'm a screenwriter. I teach people how to self-publish eBooks. I have a gratitude class on Udemy with uh, thousands of students from around the world. I'm also a suicide prevention activist, which is kind of where all my work originates from. And from my own experience, I was a very depressed and suicidal uh, person. I was going to say, <laughs> kid, yeah, yeah. Every, at every age, I have dealt with depression and suicidal thoughts. That is what has fueled all of, all of my books. I've, everything that I do with clients is something that I learned to literally save my own life. And it worked. <laughs> so I turned around and used it with other people. That's awesome. I know we talked, it's been about a week ago or so at this point um, before recording. And I think we ended up going way over our 30. Like usually I do like a pre-interview of like 30 minutes to kind of get to know somebody that way, you know, it's not super awkward when we're recording. And I remember we went kind of way over that 30 minutes because I was super intrigued by all the things that you do. Your, your personality is a lot like mine. Like I always joke around and say that I never really knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I kind of like tried a lot of it Mm. (laughs) and I'm still kind of doing that, you know, and I think for a lot of people with that personality, that's kind of the norm. You mentioned that you're a suicide activist because you've got obviously a personal history with that. As far as career wise, you know, how did you start out your career, you know, your adult career? Did you go into, um, you said you're a healer. Did you go into healing? Did you go into coaching? Did you, how did that kind of happen? Well, so I had a whatever, real life, you know, I worked in a cubicle. I had all that. I had my corporate America experience, but it was a very entrepreneurial. I was part of two startup companies in the late nineties. I joined my first startup and I was the web guy. They were acquired by, by Cisco systems, major technology company. And I quit that giant company, went back to another startup, which was acquired by Cisco again, six months later. So I had this. <laughs> they, were, they were following you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone said, let me know when you're going to quit again and I'll follow you this time. And, uh, but anyway, that, that second time I stayed for about a dozen years and I wasn't happy. You know, I just wasn't fulfilled. You know, the, the lure, the excitement of entrepreneurship, of the startup going from, you know, being employee number 60 at a company to number, you know, 55,000 at a company yeah. was just extremely different. About 2008 or nine, um, I had this experience online in this just giant group call with a gentleman named David Morelli leading us through this guided meditation, he called it. But it really made me sense and feel energy bursting through my body. I, I mm-hmm. felt like Iron Man, like, like energy was shooting out of my hands after, after this call. And I was like, I still don't know what this is or was, but I want to learn more about it. So I did a year-long program with him, and I became trained as an energy coach. And I can tune in and read the energy of a person, of a situation. But I, I did all that because for the first six months of this year-long program, you, you cleared yourself out. Mm-hmm. And I finally was able to learn and discover that I had been an empath as a kid. I was feeling other people's emotions and thought they were all mine. Part of what led to my, my depression and suicide attempts was just 
being overwhelmed with sadness and having no conscious reason. And again, so I learned that I was picking up emotions from other people. I had sort of no barrier, no boundary around myself. As a kid, I so wanted to be liked that I just had nothing between me and other people. So I was feeling their stuff. They might've been feeling mine. Probably nobody was conscious of this, but I just ended up feeling sad, depressed, overwhelmed, crying often, being triggered by just nothing that I could be aware of. Grew up with all that experience. Finally, as an adult, I discovered this, this stuff called energy work and light work and intuition and spirituality. I was not raised with any sort of religion. Um, when I was a kid, I thought that made me an atheist. I just thought, well, I don't believe in something, so I must not believe in anything. One of the biggest aspects of my growth was realizing and accepting and knowing that I'm not just this meat suit. I'm not just some random collection of chemicals. I'm not broken brain chemistry, which is, again, what I was taught at age, hmm, I think I was first told that at age 12, that I was a product of dysfunctional chemistry. Um, That did not (laughs) lead me to imagining a wonderful life ahead of me. So that did not help my outlook in life at all. Um, But again, I, I learned these tools, these energy tools, and how to take other people's energies out of my system and how to kind of clear myself out and recognize what's me, what's not me, and choosing what energy to bring in too. What do I want to be? What do I want to build up? What do I want to diminish? What do I want to celebrate? What do I want to accept? What can I let go? And through that program, which I, again, I took it for me, but it was, I discovered people were fighting in study groups to, to partner with me. There was word was spreading that I was good at whatever this was. I was good at it. <laughs> yeah. So um, people convinced me that I should become a coach. And so I did. So I started part-time. I was in Massachusetts uh, most of my bosses with Cisco, they were based in, in the West Coast, so I'd go to California, and my managers were like, read my energy, read my energy. <laughs> so everybody, I, I did not hide it. People were open and experimenting with it, and ways that I really learned that this worked was I would, I would read into the energy of a project, and if there wasn't much light to it, I didn't bother doing it. And without fail, always a, a week, maybe even a month later, I'd get an email. Oh, sorry, wasted your time. That thing isn't going to happen after all. I'm like, oh, it's okay. You know, I didn't do anything with it. I built my confidence and my skills in working with clients by, again, working with myself, working with where I was. So eventually I branched out, added Akashic Record readings. I became an initiate with the Modern Mystery School. I started doing more in-person, actual energetic healings with people. And it's just grown and grown. I think that there is a lot more openness um, in the professional world than there used to be. I know I did grow up in a, I guess, religious family. I grew up Southern Baptist and um, I don't know if you know much about Southern Baptist, but you know, uh, they're really good at potlucks and judgment. (laughs) My mom's going to listen to this. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. That's fine. So I kind of grew up just trying to obey the rules until I felt like I couldn't anymore. Like I always tried to be this perfect person, which obviously none of us are. And when I failed at it, I was just like, well, screw everything. And, and, you know, much like you, I absorb other people's emotions and which a lot of us do, you know, we're very much products, you know, as humans, we're very much products of our environment and some of us more than others, but I had gotten into the professional world and I never really believed in, um, a lot of the energies and I didn't like, I actually made fun of yoga, which I do daily now. Um, you know, cause I was, I grew up more in the athletics, you know, so you know, weightlifting and sports in lieu of, you know, yoga and meditation. And I just thought it was all just kind of silly and frou-frou. So I know that I 
much like a lot of people that I was around as I got into the professional world, it just was kind of frowned upon. You know, it's just now starting to kind of break through. I still don't think it's 100% all the way um, cross-referencing at this point, but I do know many, 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 many people in the business world that also are heavy into energies, heavy into yoga, heavy into meditations, and even um, like Reiki healing, um, there's a lot of hospitals. I don't know if you've seen, there's a lot of, of hospitals that are now utilizing and acknowledging that energy work such as Reiki is promising with lots of medical conditions. Right. Yeah. So, I, mean, I, I just saw a report today from Harvard Medical School talking about how beneficial yoga and mindfulness are for COVID-19 recovery. Yep. So it, it, it's not just one disease. It's not just one illness. All these things help with, with everything. They help they, with our, all aspects of us. They do. And, and we're, we're so multidimensional that I think by only picking one thing to focus on to heal anything, I think we're selling ourselves short, whether it be, you know, something like COVID-19 or whether it be cancer or whether it be depression or, you know, there's just so many facets to the the, the, our humanness, and it goes far beyond the physical. But even with the physical, you can utilize things like meditation. And even if a person is not as open right now to understand how energies work, now I would say go ahead and start looking into it because we are all energy. You know? mm-hmm. But even if they're not so open to understand that yet, because I know if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I would have looked at you like you had three heads. You know, I'd be like, oh, yeah, energy, okay, whatever. And I think there's a lot of people that aren't quite there yet, but they may be to the point where they at least recognize that, you know, mindfulness, like you mentioned, is a good thing or quiet meditation and just pausing for a little while is a good thing. And I think taking that small aspect and snowballing from there can start to help us in a lot of ways. Kind of circling back to your suicide activist work, do you find that working with people who have had you know, past suicidal thoughts or maybe even current suicidal thoughts, do you find that teaching them about their energies and about um, mindfulness and about meditation, do you find that is pivotal in helping them recover? Oh, certainly. And to touch on something you said, like everything I do now on a daily basis is something I first made fun of for years. Yeah. So if we're talking about things and someone's listening, it's like, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, great. You know, yeah. it, 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 you can't be aware of it first and laugh at it and then almost be like, well, I, I feel so bad. I'm willing to try these ridiculous things. That, that's, that was my path. Oh, that but, was me too. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, from as far as being depressed and suicidal, it took a lot of, lot of self-work to just accept that I could be happy, that I was, I was worthy of being happy, not just being miserable. For me, there was a lot of resistance to trying anything because it might work. It would throw off my whole worldview. Like if I could be glad to be alive, then who am I now? And how much, how many years did I waste by not believing that in me? Right. So there's a risk and there's a lot of talk about, you know, staying in the comfort zone and it comes with productivity and things, but even something being depressed, hiding in bed, even if you hate that that's your life, you're used to it. So there's a comfort level, even in things that don't feel good. I realized that I was kind of addicted to suicidal thoughts. When things got tough, that's the first place my mind went because that was the, the deepest rut in my brain, right? That was the oldest neural pathway, if you want to get scientific. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we t- and, you know I'm going to point out that language. Like we talk about, we, we all fall into a rut. Oh, my life's in a rut. 
Well, our brain works the same way. And that thought pattern that we think the most will be kind of like the deepest rut in our brain. So initially, it takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of conscious thought to get yourself up out of the rut and start making a new one. But with neuroplasticity, when I was growing up, I was taught that you had only had so many brain cells and every time you drank, you killed some of them. So you're getting, you were getting dumber and you know, reducing yeah. everything you could do each time. But there's neuroplasticity. Our, our brain is incredibly adaptable. We as, as human beings are much more resilient than most people realize and accept. So I firmly believe that no matter how horrible you might feel right now or ever in the past, you can feel better and you can be joyous. You can really be glad to be alive. And I think a lot of studies have shown that even with a lot of the suicide prevention hotlines, I've read that a lot of them say that if you can keep somebody on the phone and you can just have them wait till the next morning, just, just wait till tomorrow then, you know, just, just don't do it right now. Just wait till tomorrow by that next day. They've at least for that moment, talked themselves out of going ahead and going through with it. And I think it's just, like you said, in that rut, in that deepest, darkest moment. And I've had many, many, many deep, dark moments. I don't know that I've, been quote unquote suicidal it now it's has it entered my head before like I wish this would end or I could just end this like in a fleeting thought when I've been down yes but I've never been what I would consider you know suicidal I've been severely depressed and the way that I have handled you know depression in the past hasn't always been the most healthy I'd shove it away and not deal with it and just make a joke (laughs) because that's my coping mechanism and you know, and that's fine to be able to, and people have always said, well, that's a good thing, you know, that you can just kind of brush it off. And it is for small things, but for large things, you still need to deal with them. Even if you deal with them and then brush them off and then you're able to joke about it, you still have to, to deal with it. And I do know that now, but it took me a long, long time to figure that out because I, I joke around and say, and my sister says the same thing that we're just emotionally stunted and, you know, we're not huggers We're you know, we, you know, we don't. And I think it's because like we talked about before, I have always been one that absorbs emotions so much Mm -hmm. that I had to put up this boundary, use the word boundaries before I had to put up this boundary because I just couldn't take anymore. So I didn't want anybody to hug me because I would absorb so much from them, way more than I wanted from that just small hug. Mm. Have you ever had any experiences like that in the past? Or is it something that was you considered very emotional growing up? Or was you kind of like me that was seen as emotionally stunted, but it was because you absorbed so much that you just had to kind of push it away? There were different phases. Like I, you know, in like first and second grade, like I was easy to cry. I would be upset and bawling and, but not know why until I learned more. And then as I got older, I learned, no, well, this is not a good thing. I I get picked on. I get made fun of for doing this. So I was able to shut myself down. So kind of in my teen years, I couldn't feel emotions unless I got drunk. Yeah. So I would, you know, I would drink to get drunk as you know a 14 year old so that I could finally cry again. But yeah, I was glad to hug people. I was glad to have connection because again, not realizing I was getting it from people, but I'm like, oh, I'd rather like feel whatever you're feeling than what I'm feeling. Cause I thought, oh, I thought that all the bad, st- I didn't, I didn't think I was a kid that had depression. I thought I was depression. Yeah. Right. If you were smiling, I'm like, get over here. Give me a hug. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, get, change my mood, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me some of what you got. Right. <laughs> you mentioned that you have a podcast. Is your podcast geared more toward the activism or is it geared more towards healing or is it kind of a, a modge podge? The perfect show to me is, is someone comes on and shares their journey and then shares how they're using whatever they learned to serve others. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that shows up with other coaches, with, with authors. We're talking about healing. Sometimes it's tales of addiction. Um, I just talked to someone 
uh, that was just a, a really high achieving young person and top of their class and the uh, child of doctors and politicians and became an opiate addict and, you know, was excellent at hiding it until he was a complete mess and was life was falling apart. So stories from all over. There's a lot of focus on mental health, on depression. The show is called Real Men Feel. Real men meeting all the memes and stuff and, you know, real men yeah. chop down trees and real men open doors and whatever it might be. And that was kind of like a play on that, but also that real meaning authentic. Yeah. And, and authentic human beings feel. And sometimes men need to be called out like, you know, this shampoo is for men and this deodorant is for men. And so emotions are for men. That's really the message of the show. So anybody coming on, being open and authentic and sharing the emotions they felt as they share their experiences, that's what each show really is. As a woman, I've always found it baffling that it was not automatically understood that men cry <laughs> or men feel yeah. because, I mean, I, and I don't know where the idea that they don't come from. I don't know if that was men putting it on themselves or women doing it, but I always found that so odd. You know, I, I can remember hearing, well, boys don't cry. Well, who says boys don't cry? <laughs> where did that come from? How would boys not cry? What exactly about a boy would make them not cry? Yeah, it, it's passed on. It's older, stricter versions of masculinity and, and tighter gender roles. Whenever I'm talking to a man about masculinity and what does he think it means to be a man, I was asked, the person that taught you, like whoever you learned this, boys don't cry, or whatever rules you're living by, if that person was a miserable bastard, why would you follow in those footsteps? Like, why take your lessons from that? If your father, grandfather, you know, big brother, if they were a joyous person that embraced life and they passed things on to you, great experience is the best teacher and what was their experience are they are they passing on crud that feels weighted and heavy the youngest kind of masculine role model i can think of as a young kid it, it would have been john wayne mm -hmm. and just silent and stoic and, and never showing anything you know shoot yeah. anybody that gives you a cross eye you know yeah <laughs> they, and that okay that so that's what i think men meant for like the 50s and 60s then it started falling apart and it's still being put back together but it's society, it's your family, it's teachings. But ideally, every man's definition of masculinity is up to him. And it's whatever definition that makes you feel good. I if think. you're generally happy being miserable and angry, and those are, those are your go-to emotions, but somehow that brings happiness to you, then, then fine. Yeah, I'm not going to judge that. But if you want to change it, you change it by recognizing you're, as a man, you're allowed to feel all the emotional range that are allowed of human beings. There aren't emotions that are for women and, and emotions that are for men, but a lot of people have been taught that there are. I agree. I was thinking whenever you were mentioning just about John Wayne and all that, just all the, the female role models that I've seen, and I never really was any of those either. You know, I've never been a, the one that knows how to do their makeup. I've never been one that knows how to do hair. I don't do my nails. I like to go outdoors and do, and, and it's, it's different now, I think, than it was even whenever I was growing up. When I was growing up, it was very much expected that I should know how to do makeup. I should know how to curl my hair. I should know how to do all those things. And I didn't, and I didn't really want to know how, you know, I wasn't super emotional like girls are supposed to be. You know, it was, it was things like that. I think that's the same thing as like with a lot of the male stereotypical roles. And I think putting these, any of these stereotypical roles, any of these pressures, as you said, and we put on ourselves just adds to the weight of all the things in life that can kind of weigh us down. And everybody has different things that they come up against in their lives and adding all these undue things, these, these unneeded things just weights us down 
more quickly. And I think that if we could kind of talk to ourselves as a younger self and say, don't allow society to put that on you. Don't allow your parents to even put that on you. Don't allow your friends. Don't allow yourself. If I could go back to younger Maria and say that, I think she would have found what she knows now so much sooner. We really are limitless beings. We, we are capable of, of infinite possibilities. But every time that we take a teaching or a training and a, and a rule and just set it as, as fact, it, it's a limitation. So we keep boxing ourselves in until we make a box so tiny that, again, that's when I become suicidal. That's when I, life feels so restricted and, and such this, this falsehood. And, and it's false because it's, it's how you're living. It's how you're operating. When you start changing your, your beliefs, your mindset, then your thoughts and your actions change. And you realize that you know, whatever limitation, almost, almost whatever identity we choose to put on ourselves, if it's not flexible, it's false. I, I agree with that. And I think for most of my life, I felt like I was wearing a mask, hmm. that I didn't feel that I could be my true authentic self, which my true authentic self is very eclectic. You know, I am a very eclectic person. If you had to say, hey, what type of a person are you? I couldn't really tell you because I like a little of this and a little of that. And I'm just a, a modge posh of all kinds of things. And which can look, um, I joke around like even about my resume. Like I joke and say that my resume is very bipolar because if you look at it, there is a story behind all of it, but I'd have to sit and explain it out. But if I literally wrote everything down, it looks ridiculous. It honestly does. But there's a reason behind a lot of it. And even within the story, when I explain how I kind of got to each of those and why, it actually shows some psychology behind it just to the fact of who I am as a person because I am that person that says, okay, well, this is what I'm being drawn to. I want to absorb this and learn more about this. And what I've found out as I've gotten older is that there's some of those things that I'm drawn to because I'm supposed to be. And there's some of those things that I'm just curious about. And it and it's fine to be curious about some things, but I also know that I am the type of person that tends to be a jumper on things. And whenever I want to do something, I don't think it all the way through sometimes. <laughs> so I, you know, I find these things out about myself and I say, okay, well, this part is good. You know, the part that I'm ever learning and I'm ever changing and all of this is a good thing, but you know, jumping without thinking things through is not a good thing. And I've, I've told this story on these podcasts a thousand times, but I'm going to say it again because I don't know if I told it to you, but I remember I was on a plane one time and this is when it kind of clicked in my head and I'm watching the flight attendant and she's just like, you know, going through her things. And I remember thinking, oh, that looks like so much fun. I would love to try to be a flight attendant. Why? I don't know. I just, I Googled how to become a flight attendant and I stopped myself and I'm like, okay, this is what's wrong with me right here. Do I want to be a flight attendant? No, it looks pretty fun. Yes, they travel, but is the reality something that I would actually be happy doing? Absolutely not. There's actually zero, well, I guess 1% of that I would actually enjoy of being a flight attendant. Old Maria, or I guess younger Maria, would have gone ahead and got that ridiculous, whatever it is, I don't even know if it's a certification or whatever, and then never used it because I figured out after I finished it that I actually don't want to be a flight attendant, you know, but more wise, mature Maria says, okay, that's cool that I wanted to learn more about it. Now I've read a little bit about it, but I'm not going to go through with it because this does not, you know, fall into place with what my purpose is and what I want my life to look like. And I think... That, that our happiness, you know, as people comes down to 
our purpose, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, I have a experience very similar to yours and it took me a lot of buying programs and, and chasing different careers and stuff until I realized like, oh my God, it's, it's, I want what that person feels. So yes. when I see someone loving their job and, and having a zest for life, I think, oh, it's the job or it's that program or it's that outfit. It's the thing they're drinking. I waste money and time and like, well, I did that thing and I still feel like crap. Like, yeah. oh, and yeah. So, but no, I, I definitely, uh, I resonate with what you're saying there. And I think that a lot of people that, again, are very high energy and very curious, I think that those are great qualities. You know, mm-hmm. when I sit and think about qualities of a person, it's not that I think I have terrible qualities. I don't. I think it's just being able to recognize the good in those qualities. And every good has an opposite, <laughs> you know, so the bad in those qualities too, and avoid that part of it. I don't think that that's something that has a time stamp on it. I know I hear a lot of people say, well, when you're older, you get wiser. And I think we get wiser because we've experienced it, not necessarily because of the age, because I know people that are far younger than I that have come to this realization far sooner than I did. And it took me a long time. Uh, You know, my husband and I both joke around that we're both stubborn. Well, well, we are stubborn, but we're the type of people that have to be kind of hit in the head with a two by four to kind of get it through because we're that stubborn. And we are, we both 100% are. And I think that's why it took me so, so long to realize that I did not have to wear this mask, that I did not have to, you know, go get this, this certification or this, you know, whatever it is to be able to, like you said, to feel fulfilled, to have that feeling that, you know, sometimes maybe I, it was going to go into place with what I wanted for my life, but most of the time it did not. I was just searching and trying to find the puzzle pieces that made me happy. Yeah. And I hated this notion when I was younger, but I, I am come to embrace it now, but that's the point of life. Like finding out all the things that make you happy. Yeah. And if by power finding it out is doing things that don't necessarily feel good. A common metaphor I get when I do Akashic record readings for people, it's a way for people to kind of ask questions of their kind of their spiritual guidance. The Akashic records are this recording of, of everything you've ever done. So that and having all that in one place helps you make decisions going forward better. A lot of people will complain like I have all these ideas and what to do. And, it's, and they're often saying like you, you can do it all. You just can't do it all at the same time. That that's the problem most humans get into. So having having a life full of different desires and interests is fantastic. It's just navigating when am I going to pursue this one? When do I pursue that one? When do I pursue this one? If you spend years studying something and getting a certificate and pursuing a goal to discover that at the end, like, you know, this wasn't what I thought. This isn't really what I want to do. We all have a tendency to go, what a wasted effort this was. But the records will remind that no, like discovering something that you don't want to do is is just as valuable. You, you won't go down that road again. That's true. That's so true. I've never thought about it that way. I know for me, it took me actually, I just feel like uh, last year, <laughs> last year was probably the first year, probably around, I don't know, June, July, around that time that all of the terrible things I had been through well my whole life, but primarily that last year and a half prior to that kind of all come to a head. And I really started to be able to see things more clear. It's almost, and I explained this to some friends of mine who are, you know, also very open in energy and, you know, natural world that I literally felt like a veil had been lifted off. It was a very surreal feeling because I had been slowly over the last, you know, 
uh, probably 10 years, then becoming more open and more open and more open. You know, I went from the girl that laughed at yoga and literally got kicked out of yoga class. I worked for a gym for a while and they wanted me to get certified in yoga and paid for me to go to this class. And, you know, the person teaching the class was very, very open and um, was stereotypical TV yoga teacher. And me and my girlfriend laughed so hard. We literally got kicked out of the class. I did not get certified in yoga. And I feel so bad. I wish I had her name. I could write her and be like, I am so sorry. But I mean, I didn't under, you know, you don't know what you don't know. That's what I tell people all the time. You don't know what you don't know. I just thought it was so frou-frou and so out there and so bizarre. And really I was just so uncomfortable, I think, because when we grow and change, that is uncomfortable. And I think I was always being pulled toward knowing, you know, the knowing, but I was so uncomfortable with the idea of it because it was so opposite to everything I had ever been taught. You know, growing up in a Southern Baptist family, anything that wasn't Southern Baptist (laughs) was looked at as, you know, a cult or devil worshiping or, you know, I was actually almost terrified of it because that's what I had been told to be. Not to go too further, but that's one of the downfalls and controls of kind of almost any system, not just religious, but here's what you are and fear what you are not. And that keeps you in line. I I think that a lot of, a lot of it can actually, and I've had conversations with my family who are still involved with the church Mm -hmm. that it's not opposite views. Once you really get into it, you know, there may be some things that they specifically think that I don't specifically think, but if they were a little bit more open, a lot of religious views intertwine with the natural energy world. They, a lot of them intertwine and they just don't see it. Yeah. I mean, they all originated the same place. (laughs) Everything's from here. Um, So yeah, there's got to be a lot of like, again, I, I was not raised with any religion. So when I was in college, I took a religions of the world class and i took a a class on islam and i read the bible i read the quran and what blew my mind was there is so much more in common there was so much more overlap than there is disagreement yet Mm -hmm. all i've ever heard growing up was was the differences we cherry pick what we think is wrong about any other group to to make us feel better about our group when we let all that down again we, we drop the boxes we drop the masks we're all human beings i believe we're all doing the best we can based Mm -hmm. on our current you know, education and energy and mood and sleep and food and all these different factors that go into what your best is in this given moment. But I believe we're all doing the best we can. And, you know, even the worst idea in the world is somebody's best idea in that moment. Yeah. And if we can do that, you know, we can see the commonality, commonalities <laughs> and the energy that binds us together. And Again, when I was a kid and I thought all this was just complete nonsense and the oneness and the multidimensionality and all these words that I now use because I've had an experience of them. So whenever I talk about something and someone is just like, oh, that's absurd, it's ridiculous, I celebrate that because, all right, good, I made enough of a mark that they have an opinion. Yeah. And then, you know, if years later, like you talked about, you wish you had that, that yoga teacher that threw you out of class, right? She, she planted a seed. You, you weren't ready for it then. But you got to it later, and you remember that person that first made you aware of this of this potential. And you know, ideally, anytime I talk, anytime I share something, like I am very authentic and open, and I, I I share what doesn't work for me, I share what does work for me, so that someone else can learn quicker than I did. And and I think that's the goal. I know. Again, we fear what we don't understand, and we all come to knowing in our own time. 
because, and I, and I was speaking to somebody about this actually yesterday because, you know, I've known them pretty much my whole life. And she's like, I feel like you're so much more you again. And I was like, well, I don't know what you mean by that. And she said, well, she said, actually, I don't even know how to say this, but she said, I feel like you're more you than you've ever been, but you're much more like you. (laughs) I was like, okay, now I'm really confused. And she's like, okay. She said, well, she said, I feel like, you know, the more successful you've got within your business, because I own a few businesses at this point, she said, I feel like you lost more and more and more of yourself. I mean, she's right. And I started to recognize that, but it was the ball had already started rolling away so fast. I didn't know how to stop it. When you have businesses, you have employees. I also have children and I had, you know, a building and I had, so I had, you know, mortgage payments. And it's, I mean, you, you fix your life to be a certain way. And that's great whenever it aligns with your authentic self, but when it doesn't, it's detrimental to your mental well-being. It was detrimental to my physical. I had never had a panic attack a day of my life, but I had one in 2018 and I thought I was dying. I didn't even know what the heck was happening because I had gotten myself to the point that I was so bogged down. I was so stressed out and every single bad thing that had ever happened to me in my entire life. And there's been quite a few all came to a head at that moment. It was awful. I had to kind of drop everything because I had to focus on what I needed to do, but it took me going through a bunch of stuff in, in 2018 before I did that. That whole year, I started peeling myself apart and it took early 2019 that I started trying to pick up the pieces again and figure out, okay, does this piece belong? You know, does this piece belong? Because I knew I could not go back to where I was before. And it's funny because I had already started, you know, I had been involved, you know, in the energy world for a little while, but I had not got to the point that I am now. It's kind of took me letting everything go to where I was more open. This, you know, I'm sure you know what I'm saying by that. It took me letting go of all the masks, you know, letting go of the last pieces. It's like I'd let a lot of it go, but we hold on to those few little pieces that seem like the comfortable pieces. And I was just so afraid to let those go because I didn't know what was going to happen. Because like I said, I had employees, I had family, I had, you know, a business building. I had, you know, I had all these things that I was so afraid if I let it go, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but I let it affect me. I let it affect my marriage. I let it affect my children. I let it affect everybody. So when I look back at all of that now, it seems completely absurd and ridiculous that I was holding on to those things that absolutely mean nothing in comparison to my own well-being, to my relationship with my husband and to my children. But I think we fall into that. And I think a lot of times that that can become so deep-rooted that that leads into suicidal thoughts and depression and so many other issues. Again, it's, to, to me, it's, it's that, that tightening of the box. And, and again, you, you feel it energetically and physically, the weight on your shoulder. We all, we all speak in the same language, the compression of life, and everything feels heavy and gross, and I feel denser and you know, sicker, and I don't want to get up, and I don't want to move, I don't have energy. When you realize those are all symptoms yeah. of, of a bigger issue, I mean, that was a huge breakthrough for me. Like, I'm, I'm not all these little ailments and horrible feelings. These are showing me that something else is wrong. Right, I'm. I'm not looking at the the root issue. When I first went to college, I went to a community college. So I I was ranked third in my high school class, 
And that came out and I was terrified. I'm like, oh my God, like I'll go to college. They'll be fond of for the fraud that I am. And I tried, I tried to <laughs> flunk out of school with like the last three months of class. But anyway, I was afraid. So I ended up going just to a community college and I was still so afraid that uh, I was in a communications program and I had straight A's in the first semester. And then I looked at the next semester's class and there was a mandatory public speaking class. I was so terrified of being seen, of having to speak of anything, I stopped going. And I, so I ended up flunking out of – I went from straight A's to flunking out because I stopped going all to avoid this class that terrified me. So if, if you told me years later, you'll be you know, narrating audiobooks <laughs> and speaking on stages and doing podcasts. I'm like, no freaking way. That is not who I am. Yeah, we get so used to our own defenses and protections and masks that we get fooled and we think that's who we are. I totally get your friend saying you're less of you, but you're more of you because yeah. you're, you're less of who we thought you were, but we see the, the real you shining through now. And it's funny. It's like she was always there, you know, and, and slowly I think she's been cracking out for years and it took me letting it all go. And I, you know, I was explaining to somebody one day, I said, I just felt like I had, you know, all my hand, you know, well, all my hands, two, my hands, my feet, my fingers, my toes, everything was just trying to hold all these pieces together. And I was, I, you know, if you couldn't kind of use your imagination, I just felt like I was just using all my strength to be able to just, just keep it all together, you know, and I'm shaking and I'm sweating and I'm in pain and I'm, but I'm holding it together because, you know, I'm stubborn. It wasn't until I just literally couldn't, I fatigued and I had to drop them all. They, I, they just fell that I was able to take a deep breath you know, and start to think, okay, what pieces do I want to pick back up? Because I don't want to go back to that anymore. You know, that was excruciating. I don't want to do that anymore. But it wasn't until I just dropped them. Yeah, I just dropped them that I could actually see that I didn't have to even hold. Most of them I was putting on myself. It wasn't even that somebody said, well, you have to do this. That Like 95% of it, I was telling myself I needed to do yeah. for whatever reason. I have no idea. You know, and I think so many people fall into that rut, especially, you know, professional business owner, entrepreneurs, you know, we say those words and, you know, and, and I've made the statements too, you know, oh, grind, hustle every day. And, and there's nothing wrong with grinding and there's nothing wrong with hustling, but there is something wrong when that becomes who you are and you're randomly grinding and you're randomly hustling for this idea of success that you don't even believe in. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? If, again, what, I find the things we're meant to do, there's a natural, there's an easy flow. So when it takes all your effort to juggle all these balls and keep all these things happening, again, that's, that's a sign, that's a symptom that those aren't really all the things you're meant to be doing. I agree. But yeah, so if you're an entrepreneur and suddenly, oh, wow, can I actually just take a Sunday off? Can I, can I coast? Can I just work four days this week? Really? No, that, that can't be right. I, I better find something to work on. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we all, again, I find that productive people, high achievers, we're often the most judgmental and we're the most judgmental about ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. I was like that even with my relationship. I was like that with my mothering, you know, my parenting ability, my, you know, mothering ability of my children. Like, you know, I would pat my friends on the back and be like, you know what? You're doing your best. That's all that matters. They're going to be happy. You know, they're blah, blah, blah. And then I'd beat myself up. Why didn't you do that? You should have got up and that you shouldn't have fed them cereal. You should have got up and cooked, you know, breakfast. It was Saturday. How dare, you know I mean? It's just, we just give ourselves these hate talks all the time. And it's not that those thoughts don't ever try to creep in my mind, you know, that I would be lying if I say they don't, but I don't allow them to stay there. I'm like, nope, absolutely not. They ate their food. They're good. It was still healthy, you know, and you were mentioning about 
symptoms within the, the energy world also deal with wellness. And one of the things that I believe in is uh, from a functional medicine standpoint, um, not that there's anything wrong with conventional medicine. I don't believe that there's anything necessarily wrong with it, except for the fact that it's looked at as being the only way to do things. So the way that I believe from a functional side, and I'm finishing up my, my PhD as a natural health practitioner, not because I believe I have to, because that's something I actually want to want to do. I believe that, you know, there are the natural ways of doing things that we should try first because they are less abrasive on the body. You know, they're easier to um, absorb. There's, there's so many reasons to do that without the nasty side effects of a lot of the conventional prescription meds. That being said, if I go out and get in a car accident, I don't want somebody rubbing herbs on me. You know what I mean? You've got to sit and think that they, they go together. We've forgotten the old ways of doing things because all these new ways came, but really it's a blend of both. So when you think of it from a functional standpoint, a lot of the things that are being treated are symptoms of other things. So if you've got a headache and you're like, oh man, I got a headache, you go and you pop, you know, an ibuprofen or an aspirin. Did you have a headache because of your lack of ibuprofen or aspirin? No, you have a headache because that's a symptom of something else. So with functional medicine that says, okay, well, let's find the root cause of your headache. You know, are you dehydrated? Do you have some type of deficiency? And you kind of work your way through. That doesn't mean that you don't ever need a prescription. That means let's try to find the root causes of these things first. And then once you've gone through all those, and this is all we have left, this is what we have left. And I think that way of looking at, you know, the medical world is a lot like you were saying about symptoms, yeah, right on. And and I've heard it said often too that um, Western medicine is best for acute issues, or yes. emergencies, a broken bone, something right yeah. now, right? And, but chronic things are, you know, find the root. That's where the yeah. natural co- uh, work, the natural remedies, the more holistic yeah. ap- approaches tend to bring the most long lasting benefit. Yeah, I agree. And I think that there's a lot of people starting to embrace that more. Um, it's funny, since all this COVID-19 stuff, I have had so many people reaching out to me through my wellness companies. And it's been people that kind of joked and made fun of me in the past a little bit and called me a witch doctor and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I've actually, a couple of posts was like, okay, I see you all, you know, calling for me now. And, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just been funny. But people are starting to at least see the need for both sides now. We've got so many things that have been great scientific breakthroughs, but we've forgotten our roots. You know, we've forgotten kind of how we got there. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize that many prescriptions have a natural herbal root. There's, you know, a a plant or a root that had this medicinal property to it. What happened was they said, oh, okay, well, it has this medicinal property, but it's going to cost X amount of dollars and take X amount of time to be able to cultivate this. We can do a synthetic version cheaper. But the problem with synthetic versions is it comes with lots of side effects. Right. That's the reason that I have, you know, really always been a, and I say always, always since I kind of decided that I didn't think it was stupid, (laughs) you know how that goes, but to really push that side of things to say, I I look at myself as the gray area. And I think that's why I wanted to finish my PhD is not because I needed one more thing to do. Cause I, like I said, I have already got past that idea that I need to do it all and do everything. I don't want to do it all, but I feel like I'm the gray area on that because I can see the need for lots of conventional treatments, but I also see the need for all the, 
you know, natural medicinal herbs. And the idea that you have to pick sides seems ludicrous to me. And I think it's the same thing, like I was saying earlier with, with the energy work and, you know, meditations and yoga and all that stuff that people think because, you know, maybe they go to church or whatever that they can't still believe in all that stuff. And I, I also think that is ludicrous. <laughs> you yeah. know, why do you have to pick sides? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and if you really understood each yeah. side, you'd see that they, again, they begin at the same place. It's yes. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's funny how the mind evolves and how, I, I mean, it seems cliche and silly, but I, I do believe that everything that kind of happens to us in life happens for a reason Mm -hmm. because, you know, as I could sit and list all the horrible things I've been through and all that, you know, whatever, not that I'm like, yeah, I'm so glad that happened, but I do feel that it moved me and put me in a place and opened my mind up in an area that maybe would not have been without those things happening. I do think that with that being said, that there is something to be said for everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And there, there really is a gift in everything. Yeah. Now, if you're in the middle of a hard time, oh, you know, yeah. you're not open to that. You don't yeah. want to have people telling you, oh, there's a gift in you having cancer and being on your deathbed right now. And like, you know, so, but again, in hindsight, you can see it when, when the emotions of the moment have, have uh, fallen away, you go, oh, right. And, but you, you've got the perfect outlook and that's an outlook that, that I've developed for myself, which is why I call it perfect. Um, but yeah. if, if I like where I am today, I like me now. So for me to say, oh, if I could eliminate that event in the past or if that thing didn't happen to me, but no, it took all of the ups and the downs and the sideways to get to you, opening up to more of you, being willing to be authentic, being willing to share, being willing to try new things. So again, if it takes some painful in the moment experiences to get you to crack and realize what you've been hiding behind is a mask and doesn't serve you, all of those experiences did indeed serve you. And I think that's super hard to explain to people, like you said, especially if they haven't got to that place where they realize everything that we've just been talking about, about themselves and about just life and about all that. And I mean, you may talk to me 10 years from now and I'd be like, wow, I knew nothing then again, you know, but I think we are very much always growing and always still have more to learn about ourselves and about life. Sure. Science tells us that our universe keeps expanding and that it actually is expanding at a faster and faster rate. So in the work that I've done energetically and with all the woo-woo world, everything is expanding quicker because we are. So Mm -hmm. every new experience, even every new thought that every human being has is what is making our universe expand. So if we all just stopped, (laughs) life would literally stop. And this shutdown experience is giving us all, like, life isn't stopping. It's continuing. And people are having an opportunity to live differently, to go within, to slow down, to not rush around, to just stay with the people they love, ideally, and explore the emotions that show up and and decide, when when I can go out again, where do I want to go? Yeah. I hear a lot of debate of, we got to get back to normal. And some people are like, well, wait, was, was normal worth getting back to? Like what, what can we do anew? What, how can society work better? How can health be better? How can work be better? This is a, a golden opportunity. Uh, it's a timeout for humanity almost yeah. to, to all of us take a breath and go, hmm, yeah, let's, let's, let's do the work. Let's get introspective. I agree. I've been calling it the great pause. Mm. <laughs> it's funny because it's not really affected me a whole lot other than the fact that I'm having to homeschool my kids and they're all going to be illiterate. But other than that, it's not really affecting me a whole lot. That's the only thing that's really kind of been 
you know, disruptive in my life, but I had already got to the point, like we were talking about that I had already kind of taken a step back and I had already started to decide, okay, this isn't worth my time. This isn't worth my time. This doesn't fit in, you know, with my ideal life. You know, I'd already started doing that anyway. And so my life didn't change a whole lot other than, you know, having to try to homeschool, which at this point I've decided that um, I quit. So that's, (laughs) (laughs) I'm done. I get calls every day from, you know, colleagues. I got one today, you know, and well, meaning, how are you holding up? How are you doing? You know, we're all having a hard time. And, you know, I'm like, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm completely fine. You know, actually I'm enjoying the fact that it's giving me a chance to even further dive in and further fine tune what I want for my life because I'd already started it, but I didn't have the ability to, get as deep as I am being able to now and being able to decide, you know what, this feels really good. I'm going to dive more into this. And this doesn't, I don't not, I don't want to do that right now. And it doesn't even matter if I want to do it or not, because life's pretty much stopped in the outside world right now anyway. So right now it's allowing me to be more free with my decisions because there's really not a hangup in most, most of the, you know, there's no downfall (laughs) right now. Has it affected you negatively in any way or? I wouldn't say so. I mean, I've worked from home full time for like yeah. 12 or 15 years. I don't have children. So my life hasn't changed all that much. The only, the places I used to regularly go that I can't are the gym and to the movie theater. Some of my healings are only done in person. So those have had to stop while other work I do that's remotely has gone on. The podcast world has blown up. I'm on, I'm on lots of shows. I'm producing more shows and I'm getting more kind of uh, current events related guests and how can people navigate this kind of chaotic time the best. So in a great respect, I've never been busier. Yeah. I think that is the cool thing that I found too, is that the things that I tend to love are the things that I'm doing more of. And it's not because that's what I picked. It's that the way that the quarantine has been laid out and the way that life has just been going, it's actually fed those things. I find that funny, not ha-ha funny, but just kind of like, uh, like aha funny, <laughs> you know, yeah. that the way that life has been going naturally is feeding those things that I had already pretty much decided was my things, but I was having to slowly kind of filter thing, you know, filter time and energy and stuff over to that. But now I'm not having to do it slowly anymore. Yeah. When synchronicities line up and reinforce decisions you've already made, like that's, you know, that's the ultimate green light from the universe. They're like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm on the right path. And I've, I have made the decisions to get me here. Fantastic. I still find that like amazing. And I say that a lot. Like, I'm like, gosh, it's just so amazing when that happens. And you think that that feeling would get old, but it doesn't. It's almost like seeing a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset. If you look at my phone, I've got a thousand pictures of sunrises and sunsets and moons and, you know, just stuff like that. And it's silly because it's like, okay, well, you've got like so many of why does it matter? It's the same thing, but it's not because each experience is still that breathtaking, you know, moment for me. Yeah. It's not silly because even into my, into my early twenties, I had friends and I'd see them stop and like, look at the sunrise or look at a painting in a museum. And I could look at it and I was like, yeah, that's nice. I, I never felt it. Because I was always kind of this chronic low-level depression that I thought was life. And it was, it was because I wasn't living my best life. I wasn't living up to my potential at all. 
and now, yeah, I'll get up in the morning. Oh my God, that's gorgeous! And yeah, I'll yeah. take fifty-five pictures of yeah. one, of this <laughs> yeah. moment of purple in the in the morning, and or yeah. or of my dog, or of the moon, or of anything. And yeah, it is. It's magic, and I hope that never gets old. I mean, that that's truly the feeling of being alive. I agree. Yeah, and, it shouldn't get old. And you know, I always thought that because I was this sarcastic, and I still am, <laughs> this sarcastic, jokey person, that I couldn't also be this deep person i feel like part of me kind of fought that because i'm like i'm not giving that up because i love my sarcasm <laughs> i use it for everything but i found that i i can you know i'm still sarcastic i still joke about things sometimes inappropriately um but i still feel things very deeply i still you know am able to be all of that yeah i mean you said earlier we're, we're multi-dimensional yeah right we are mental we are physical we are energetic we are emotional We've got the five senses everybody acknowledges, and we also have intuition and that, that gut sense and just that, that times we just know things with no basis for how we should know it. That, that's all real. And I think that should give some hope to people that were like me that thought I couldn't be professional. I couldn't have a business and still believe the way that I believed or want to live my life the way that I wanted to live it because it wasn't what professional business people do yeah. you know i that i had to wear this mask and be two completely different people for the people that are listening that are kind of like in the depth of that thought right now just stop it because first of all nobody ever said that that i've ever heard and if they did they're dumb and second of all if you cannot be who you are and still be in the profession that you're in, do you even want to be? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, I mean, I've said that to so many clients. Yeah. Like why, why are you denying yourself to stay in this place? And it's often, it's like so many people say they don't like the job they're in, but then keep saying they can't leave it. Yeah. And like, well, both of those things can't be true. And I bet neither of them are. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. We have so much more power than we realize because it's easier. It's easier to be the victim. It is. Yeah. And yeah. especially if you're used to it and maybe you've been taught that way, if you come from a, a lineage of victimhood, you know, just think that's how life is. But oh, yeah. yeah, like I was afraid to take responsibility because I thought responsibility came with blame. Mm. Well, I don't want to, it's not my fault. Like people yeah. did bad things to me. This isn't my fault that everything sucks. All right. And it's not, when it's not about fault, but taking responsibility means I now am empowered to change what I don't like. Exactly. Yeah. And we're all capable of that. If somebody wants to talk to you more, maybe about your energy coaching or you know healing and or any of your suicide activist work, how would they reach you? The website that's the gateway to all things me is theandygrant.com. And then there's a really easy URL, theandygrant.com slash talk. We'll bring you right to a schedule and you can just like schedule an hour to talk with me. And there's like no strings, no agenda. Just like this is something I'm especially doing during this time when, when some people might be stuck at home and not have someone they can confide in. So yeah. if, if you're feeling alone or if you want to talk about coaching, if you want to talk about tattooing or astronomy or anything in between there, like that's what that, you know, just schedule time and pick it. At theandygrant.com, you can find about the podcast, you can find about the books I've written, classes I teach online, as well as one-on-one uh, -on -one work. I like to ask my guests sometimes a few questions. And one thing I want to ask you is if you could go back, you know, till whenever and tell yourself three things, what would it be? Wow. Wow. That's what pops up is number one is, uh, yeah, don't believe anything you think. Mm. <laughs> you know, find out the experience. Just don't believe it just because you think it. I know these are hard. 
Yeah. Because I well, because like I just said, it wouldn't change anything. So I have to be yeah. careful. Because I, I, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't go back. But what? Nah. What would I tell myself? If you could, if yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. If you want to do something, do it. I, I feel like I was so many years of being conscious of my desires, being so scared and never just never doing them. Yeah. So there's a lot of of wasted time there that I just I'll never get back. So that was it. Yeah. If there's something you want to do, just just you know, buy the Nikes, just do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of truth in that. And third. You can't make uh, a third. There's no pressure. No. About oh, that. I got it. Nope. Nobody's opinion of you matters except yours. That one's good too. Yeah, I'm like you. I wouldn't necessarily change anything because it's developed who I am. But for the people that are listening that haven't quite bridged some of the things that we have, you know, for them to be able to hear that, I think that helps because then, you know, maybe they can tell that to themselves at that point. You know, I try to like I have I have children. I try to tell my kids, you know, and, and they're stubborn like their mothers. Who knows if they'll actually listen, but you try to teach people what you didn't know. And that was my main reason for doing a podcast is I didn't know anything about podcasting and I'm still learning as I go, but I want people to know things that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every every book I've written, and I have a book called still here, how to succeed at life after failing at suicide. And it's everything I wished I knew when I was 17. Yeah. It would just prevented so many painful years. They exclamated. LA Times, I stay on page six. I'm even your favorite's favorite. <laughs>